Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies. And the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack. And maybe a bottle of wine. And let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go. But I am going alone. Running far, far from home. Till I am skin and bone. I don't want to die. But I'll have to try. I don't want to die. But I'm on my own. Hello. Hello. Good morning, good evening, good night. <laughs> yes, it is. I think the evening here now. I don't yeah. know those time frames. To me, after five o'clock is evening, but I guess that's still afternoon. Well, it gets dark at like five o'clock now. So, you know. Yes. <laughs> it's the uh, annual, oh, five o'clock is bedtime. Five o'clock is bedtime. Yes. Yes. Five o'clock is bedtime. <laughs> I close my laptop and then I'm like, oh, bedtime. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um. So you have finished all your events, correct? Yeah. Yes, I have. Thank God. And I have so much comp time build up. I'm just going to take two weeks off around the holiday. Yeah. So. Fuck it. Yeah. That's what it's for, you know? Yep. Yeah. Cleared that again with my boss today. So that's good to go. But yeah, it's been a joy doing a whole festival by yourself and then having people complain to you about why things weren't done right away. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe because I'm one person doing mm-hmm. this all by myself and there's mm-hmm. only so many hours in the day mm-hmm. and there's other things that also need to get done outside of this event. So mm-hmm. yeah. And I have a personal life. I don't know. Like no, no personal life for you. Jesus. None of that. So annoying. Well, that's like when I was doing the eel project, I felt like some of my partners didn't like recognize the fact that like I had other projects going on and it was yeah. my only project and like a lot of my other projects I'm the point person on. So I'm like, unless I organize it, it's not getting done. Like Yes. <laughs> like, yes. It's exhausting. I think I, it is. And I think I even said that she went at one point or like I said how I like told that to Alex at one point. I was like, I'm literally the only person doing this. And so like, if I have to spend three hours working on something else for work, that's like three hours that like this festival isn't getting worked on. Because, like, I have nobody to pass that over to, to be like, hey, I'm busy with this today. Can you do X, Y, and Z for the festival today? It's just not getting done. No. Nope. So. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I understand that a lot, actually. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm uh, glad that that's all over. And we hired somebody to, like, assist in our program or, mm-hmm. like, our team, you know? And so she's actually taking on that event now so I don't even have to do it anymore so Yay. I celebrated the end of that chapter very hard yeah well, as, as hard as I could do it honestly 
I had a few drinks with Alex and I was like, this is it. This is me celebrating that I never have to do this festival ever again. I'm mm-hmm. so happy about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, side notes, your your eyebrows look amazing. I don't know what you did, but they I got them, I got them touched up. So okay. anybody that's yeah, for anybody that's listening, I have tattooed eyebrows and I get them touched up pretty much oh. every year. <clears throat> yeah, so tattooed eyebrows. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, I tried the microblading, um, and it was fine, but that hurt a lot mm-hmm. more than I thought it was gonna hurt it and for those that don't know about microblading it is literally like a razor like they just make like cuts in your eyebrow to like mimic the eyebrow hairs and then they'll Ooh, put like the tint over it yeah and it's like they numb they numb you but like they're literally cutting you and so like when I went down to the salon in Key West I was like I want to do this. And then the girl who owns the salon was like, oh, you should really try powder brow. Have you heard of that? I was like, no. And I've already done all my research onto like the microblading. So like, I, I just want to do the microblading because that's what I read about. And I don't know anything about the powder brow. And then so I did that for like one time and I was like, this really hurts. And it lasted like eight months, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like it faded to like near completion, I guess, um, after about like eight months. And so then when I went back, I was like, tell me more about this powdered brow. Because, like, to me, the powdered brow, I just, I thought that was just, like, literal powder that they would just, like, do something mm-hmm. that would stay longer term. But, no, it's it's actually a tattoo. Like, it's, like, a little teeny tattoo needle tattoo. And, like, they take a little tattoo gun and they just, like, tattoo yeah. eyebrow on. Um, and so I, I've done that for the last, I guess, this is my second time. So this would be my second year doing the powdered brow and I like it it lasts like a year and and a couple months so it lasts longer than the microbladed one for me um and it's five hundred dollars total to get them done and it lasts like about a year and a half for me so and it didn't it didn't fade all the way either when it faded out like it fades out and like the shape is still there I just take an eyebrow pencil to like Mm -hmm. pencil it in which is like what I need because I uh Jillian knows I have sent her the picture of my eyebrows before I started getting them done (laughs) remember a few years ago when I was like oh I just did my graduate certificate and I picked off all of my eyebrows because like I'm a a stress picker (laughs) it was like literally from like the you know the edge of my nose like that where your eyebrow Mm -hmm. starts by your your inner eye to like probably like the middle of my pupil was like where I actually had like eyebrow hairs and then like the rest was just nothing (laughs) <laughs> and so I would have to pencil my eyebrows on every freaking day. And like, even if I just wanted to go to the grocery store and not wear any makeup, I would mm-hmm. pencil my brows in and yeah, it was annoying. So I finally like bit the bullet and paid the money to get my eyebrows tattooed on my face. So I don't have to worry about that anymore. So yeah. Those are, are so <laughs> fascinating because like evolutionarily, I'm like, what are they even for? Like keeping things out of your eyes and we all fret over them for some yes. reason. <laughs> Like, in the 90s, we picked them too thin, yeah. then, like, we wanted them too thick in, like, the 2010s, like. I actually, like, my eyebrows are all right. Like, I was told a long time ago, like, back in the day, probably more around the early 2000s, that, oh, my gosh, you have perfect eyebrows because they're they're thin. And I just started, like, penciling them in the other day because I was like, I want to try it, you know, because I haven't really given, like, two thoughts about it. And yeah. I drew them on and I felt like I was drawing eyebrows on the Mona Lisa because <laughs> I was like, 
I didn't realize I didn't have any eyebrows before. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast where we talk about uh, survival eyebrows. stories. Yeah, and eyebrows. <laughs> and eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to be a woman. That's all I it have is. to say. It is. I, and this is probably TMI for anybody that's listening, but like I will go weeks without shaving my legs. I just oh, don't same. care anymore. I don't Absolutely. care anymore. It's not that don't I'm like the shit. eco-friendly, like grow it out. I'm like, I just, I'm too lazy. It's such, it's so much work. It to is. shave your legs yeah i'm like and it just grows back in like a day and a half i'm mm-hmm. like i i don't want to do this i'm just gonna wear pants yeah. a lot so. and like mine bleaches in the summer anyway so it's oh that's nice, nice. <laughs> yeah you're like why not just let it grow a little bit longer well i got to go home myself because oh yeah because yeah. it was the thanksgiving holiday yeah it was good it was nice it was i don't know what it is about christmas but like everybody tends to get like at each amped other's up shit. yeah because oh, it's like we have stressed. all these traditions and we want to yeah. do all of them and it's like this year we were like fuck it we're just gonna do whatever we'll put up the tree whenever we'll do presents whatever we'll do thanksgiving when it's fine yeah and it was actually pretty nice <laughs> that's so, good oh good to hear yeah. but i did it or- because i'm gonna be super busy in the next couple of weeks oh with your projects, projects. So, yeah we'll what see. fishes are we working on now so we still got the Flounder. eels we set up the eel yeah. ramp um we're doing like just during the season um that we kind of pinpointed that they're coming in so yeah. like we're doing december till like march or april i think and okay. it's just it's just the one that's like two miles away from my house, so it's not a big deal to oh, check. Oh, that's nice. Anything. Yeah. Um. Pop so, by on your way home. Yeah. So that's that's one, and then two. We are uh, starting a light trap study that my friend is going to be the point person on. A light trap is that like larval at night? Fish. Yeah. At night. Yeah, well, you leave them out overnight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it uses light as a bait bait source, huh. basically. That's interesting. So, because we don't really have any studies looking at larval fish uh, recruitment. Like, we have all the other gears, our seines, our trawls, our gill nets that target the different, like, ages yeah. of fish, right? Um, but we don't really have anything for larval fish, and so... She's going to start doing um, a bi-monthly light trap sampling setup. And so when you say bi-monthly, does that mean twice a month or once every two months? Uh, twice a month. Okay. Yeah, I know. I, that. I always get that messed up. Or bi-weekly, like, whatever. Yeah, but then you're I like, always. Okay, is that twice a week or is that <laughs> every two weeks, right? Yeah, so. I always get that messed up. So, like, when she's, like, sampling fish, is she, like, so she puts a light out, like, the green light or whatever at, like, a dock or wherever she is. Mm-hmm. And then she'll go there with, like, a, like, a fine mesh net and, like, scoop them? Or she's just, what's she doing? So she constructs these, basically, they're kind of like crab traps where oh. it narrows, like, the, the entrance narrows down so they can get in, but they can't get out. Gotcha. Kind of okay. And so they're, like, you know, like, like, big plastic pretzel containers or like yes uh like those yeah no big, i get what you're saying yeah plastic containers and so you use those you make like little funnel holes in them and then you put a light in them and that's what attracts the fish and you oh. like let them float out there with a buoy and an anchor 
and uh yeah that's which is pretty cool, cool. Yeah, yeah that's so neat. hopefully i'm going to be getting some atlantic croaker from that study uh live oh. so that i can use for my study where i'm going to subject them to 2021 freeze simulations <laughs> from oh. our 2021 freeze that we had two years ago wow yeah. huh so that's like interesting what what uh I guess you would just like do that in your tank systems, right? Like your mesocosms, mm-hmm. you would just crank the heat or the temperature all the way down. I have um, three environmental chambers that I can yeah. program uh, like whatever temperature regime I want to like, oh, I want it at this temperature for this many hours today, you know, during the day. And then I want it to drop to this temperature at this rate kind of thing. So we're going to start with determining a uh, a, min- a thermal minima basically figuring out what the lowest temperature they can survive at or yeah the lowest temperature before they just start all dying and mm-hmm. then from there we're gonna take the freeze simulation that i've made and another group of fish is gonna go through that so there's gonna be a gotcha. multiple trial kind of thing that's cool it'll be um interesting we'll just put it that way i have no idea if it's gonna work the way i want it to <laughs> Yeah, so like you're so you're okay, let me think about this. You're subjecting the croakers to the the freeze temps to see mm-hmm. like how many of them survived more that more or less from that freeze. Yeah. Yes, gotcha. because we don't have a good way to measure larval or juvenile fish mortality during oh. these events because we literally just go out and do a big survey of the coastline for dead fish. Yeah. And so we're already underestimating adult and sub-adult fish because a lot of them sink to the bottom of the bay and you can't mm-hmm. count them. And you really can't cover the entire coastline. So we're just creating these estimates of adult fish, but we don't even have that information for juveniles or larval yeah. fish. And you'd and, think too, like since they're so small and they die, like they're probably mm-hmm. getting eaten. Or decompose decompose faster. Yeah. Like you wouldn't even be able to get that information. That's what I'm doing for the next (laughs) like two, three months, basically. Wow. Yeah. That's cool, though. That's a fun project. That sounds fun. Um, I might lose some sleep over it, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, Well, (laughs) speaking of freezing cold, uh, we're going to talk about a cold survival story uh, yes yes and i already have my conservation corner my seasonal conservation corner Ooh, for seasonal today. well yeah. i also picked this well i picked this one for a couple of reasons i've been kind of saving it for a while yeah one because the story is like stupid ridiculous um just bullshittery uh-huh. on everyone's parts it's like a good ass time and we can like sit here and judge people and it's super fun Um, (laughs) there's some true crime involved as well i saw your first link what happened to the polar polaris expedition and did it lead to murder (laughs) yeah so there may or may not have been a murder on this expedition yeah so there's that and i mean the whole goal of this expedition was to be the first people to go to the North Pole, mm-hmm. which is where Santa lives. So, yes. <laughs> so it's seasonally appropriate. Had to fact check to make sure Santa existed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. There's 
multiple countries actually claim Santa as like residing in their country because technically the North Pole is in the middle of the ocean. Of the oh. ocean. It's just on an ice cap. So you yeah. can walk to it on the ice, right? Huh. But technically it's in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. So I think Canada has laid a claim. Greenland has laid a claim. Norway has laid a claim and and Finland have all, and I'm sure maybe Russia too, because this seems like something they would want to try to take for themselves as well. <laughs> so they've all laid claim of like, oh no, Santa's from here. Oh no, Santa's from here. And it is kind of funny to like go to a post about this and like read the comments of all of yeah. these notoriously very nice countries, I guess, save for Russia, that are all just like, no. He's ours. <laughs> they want to claim Santa. Yeah, I'm like, you know, I mean, he's not he's not real. So <laughs> that we know of. You never that, know. That, you know, you know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. He's he's a figment of our imagination, but ask my my Finnish friends about it and they will dead serious. Oh yeah. Oh, he, he's he up in the here. Lapland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we just saw him on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so fun fact. So that's, that's kind of where we're at in this uh in this story. Mm-hmm. So this expedition was called the Polaris expedition and took place over 1871 to 1873 and was the first serious attempt to reach the North Pole after Sir Sir Edward Perry attempted in 1827. So So, long ago. A long ass time ago. So long ago. Like we were barely a country at this point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We hadn't even been a country for a hundred years at this point, I think actually. Yeah. So American Robert Perry and his team would eventually successfully reach the North Pole in 1909, almost 50 years later. Um, And it wasn't too, too long after that, that the South Pole was reached, which we talked about earlier this year. Uh Yep. Um, But that's another story for another day. Um, And today we are going to talk about what not to do when embarking on a polar expedition. (laughs) Uh, And this isn't like like Shackleton's experience where they had really, really shit luck and they pulled together and got out of it. This is just like, this was a shit show from the beginning. Oh, like an active and continuous shit show. Yes. Yes. There's so many chances where people could have done the right thing and they did not. So (laughs) nice. (laughs) I can't wait to hear all about it. (laughs) It's a fun one. Um, So the Polaris expedition was also the first major Arctic expedition to be funded by the United States government, which polar exploration had pretty much been dominated by British and Scandinavian explorers prior to this point. So this was kind of a big move for us to be like, hey, we're important in the world and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. Also, I mean, we're a lot closer to, I think, the North Pole than England is. Actually, I don't know if that's true. Yeah, don't, I don't know. ask me that question. I looked at that map when I was like Googling about the area and I was like, this all looks to be the same, same distance. Mm-hmm. It's like all that tippy, tippy top spots. Yep. Very, very up, very, very up there at, the, at that tippy top. 
(laughs) The expedition was to be commanded by a self-taught Arctic explorer, uh, Charles Francis Hall, who had been obsessed with the fate of Franklin's lost expedition in 1845. It all fucking comes together. So we've talked about the Franklin expedition before. That's the one where they set out to find the Northwest Passage, but the two ships and all of the men disappeared off the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. And there might have been cannibalism involved. And they didn't find the ships until like 2014 or 2016. There's all this like mystery and intrigue still to this day. Yeah. So, but it's just so funny how it's all like all polar exploration is like connected. It's kind of funny. I am going to take a side note here because mm-hmm. we had I had this conversation with a few people on Saturday and I need to know your opinion on this because I thought okay. of you immediately all right cool if it was legal mm-hmm. and it was like normal to do so mm-hmm. would you eat human flesh <laughs> why are you talking about this at a party <laughs> I don't know I don't know how it got brought up it wasn't me that brought it up I was like standing near the conversation and then I overheard mm-hmm. it and I was like I'm sorry what are we talking about <laughs> <laughs> um I think I if it was no. nor- if it was normal to do so everybody'd be fucking doing it I yeah I don't know I think I I still don't think I would do it like and they were like come on if it was legal and like people like it was like kind of like you know, it was okay to do it. Like you, you wouldn't still wouldn't want to try like what a human tasted like. And I was like, no, to me, that's so weird. I don't think I would mm-hmm. want to do that. I think if it was like, you know, I don't want to do it now. I think it's weird. I already have enough issues with meat. Just ask my parents um, <laughs> because I'm just too aware of what it is. Yeah. Like, besides the fact that it belonged to a living being, like, of course that's yeah. sad, but I still, you know, will eat bacon and stuff but it, the fact yeah. that it's like musculature and you can see that musculature mm-hmm. that's what kind of freaks me out because it makes me think of my own body so I don't think even if it was ethical I would ever uh taste what a human tastes like yeah I don't think but I would that being said if there wasn't a taboo if it was like something that was normal in society I think if it was an ethical consumption like if it mm-hmm. was like a lab produced meat maybe mm-hmm. but i think yeah. i'd still be like that's a human fucking being i know i wouldn't be able to get past it that's why i right. couldn't do it and like the people that were talking about it were like i think that humans just have like this innate curiosity and like you would want to do it i'm like i agree with the innate curiosity mm-hmm. but i would still know that that was like a human like right and, and so that's like, what does it for me like i'm not i'm not gonna do it <laughs> like well like an in this hypothetical version of like where everyone else is okay with cannibals and where are you getting the meat from are you going in like genociding a bunch of people because you know, I'm i, not I cool didn't ask that. the question yeah i did not ask that question <laughs> don't know are you are I you was so thrown people? off. Yeah, I was so thrown <laughs> off by the question. I didn't even think to ask that question. Yeah, <laughs> just like Can't I do don't it. know about that. <laughs> yeah, and then one of my friends said that she's eaten dog before, and I'm like, oh, see, like I, I couldn't do that. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be able to do that. Like, and she joked, she's like, I love dogs so much that I ate one, and I was like, oh my god, 
but um but she didn't to her defense she's like i didn't know it was dog when i ate it okay so she just like she like had a like a like a sub or a sandwich somewhere where i forget she was obviously overseas somewhere um and then she she saw that it was like meat and i don't maybe it was called something different not like straight it didn't say like dog or whatever but she found out later and i was like oh man i would be so sad for the rest of the day and probably like the rest of the week like that would really mess me up (laughs) like yeah i would not be able to do that but anyway that was my question since we talked about people dying and cannibalism and things like yeah and and obviously where you stood (laughs) in a situation like the franklin expedition maybe i could yeah but it have to be like very very dire kind of situation mm-hmm. and again it would still have to be ethical of the standpoint like that we didn't kill them to eat them kind of thing like they yes. died of natural causes yeah you know what i mean like yes that would still i wouldn't i i don't know i don't know because i've never been in that position um but the franklin guys probably were and so as we talked about briefly in the franklin episode there were many many attempts by private and government parties to find out what had happened to the franklin expedition after they disappeared however the ships themselves were not found like i said until 2014 and 2016 and no full intact bodies have been found other than the three graves on beachy island um of the three individuals that passed like during the first couple months of the expedition what so the mystery is still out yeah so if you want to remember what that shit is all about uh, go listen to i think they're maybe episode 17 and 18 something like that it was early early on that we talked yeah about this i was one. like don't look at me for that answer because don't remember <laughs> that i don't even um, know what the, the episode title is I, probably yeah. something about cannibalism i don't know i don't know we sometimes we'll just pull them out of nowhere though <laughs> like, yeah so could not um, tell you i'll look it up and see if i can um i'll, I'll do it at yeah the end of episode, i can look but... it up and let you know when we get back on because we got seven so minutes. hall himself started out as a cincinnati businessman previously worked as a blacksmith and engraver and published his own newspaper his claim to expertise came from when he lived amongst the Inuit in the Arctic during previous attempts to determine the fate of Franklin's crew. Um, because of this, he did possess the necessary survival skills, but didn't necessarily have an academic background and had no experience leading men or commanding a ship. So, but uh, through his general charisma and personality, he was able to launch two solo expeditions in search of Franklin and his men, one in 1860 and one in 1864, which established him as a seasoned Arctic explorer and allowed him to convince the United States government to finance an attempt to the North Pole. So he basically uh, girl bossed his way into leading this expedition. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so uh yeah now, the franklin episode uh-huh. episode 18 just do you want me to tell you what the episode title is or do you want to try to guess it i don't i have no idea to be honest play stupid games win stupid prizes <laughs> <laughs> i think that one was a two-parter 
So it's it's that one and the next whatever the next one is. It's already been weird. Yeah. <laughs> Episode 19. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so if you want to learn more cuz that would that story is so fascinating to me. I'm still cuz it's such a big mystery still. Yeah. I mean, we generally think we know, but the fact that like there's no you, bodies. Yeah, you have no confirmation cuz there's no bodies. It's wild. It's wild. So It's wild. So Hall didn't obviously find Franklin, but he did go to the Arctic twice and had survival skills. So they were like, cool, let's give you a $50,000 grant to command an expedition. Uh, So he secured a schooner, the USS Polaris, for the journey. The Polaris, which was a former Civil War vessel. Oh, wow. Old. Kind of wild. But think about it, like the Civil War had just fucking ended (laughs) at the time. Yeah. That is very wild to think about. Yep. So as a former Civil War vessel, it was fitted with additional solid oak timber on the hull and a new engine and boilers um, that were added that could burn seal or whale oil, which is actually pretty smart. Hmm. You know, because if you're mm-hmm. running low on fuel, if you kill a seal, now you got more fuel, right? Fuel and food. Mm-hmm. Twofer. Twofer. Yeah. Uh, there were also four 20-foot-long uh, whale boats, a collapsible canvas boat, kind of similar to the ones that they had on the Titanic, and um, supplies that included ham, salted beef, bread, and biscuit. Um, And they intended to prevent scurvy by hunting as like, you know, fresh meat, I guess, has levels of vitamin C, Mm -hmm. um, unlike preserved foods. And so that's how the Inuit uh, prevented scurvy is they'll just eat like raw meat, um, fresh, super fresh. But then if you eat too much meat, then don't you get sick from that too? It's like a protein situation, like Mm -hmm. whatever. I remember you told me about that before. Yeah, it's specifically they were eating, in that case, they were eating, like, their dog's livers, which are, like, super concentrated. Oh, and that, like, your liver gets rid of all of your toxins, too. Yeah. 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 And so, kind of, you get a a nutrient depletion the other way. So, I guess the moral of the story is, you know, kind of spread out what you eat. (laughs) And I think the Inuit did and can with their hunting and um, like foraging techniques, mm-hmm. you know, cause they'll stock up on stuff in the spring and summer and, you know, it'll get them through the winter. So they're uh, resourceful people. Um, cause they've always lived in that region. They know how to live there, you know, mm-hmm. white people on the other hand. Well, we'll just get into it. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Don't sounds like, <laughs> So instead of selecting Navy officers and seamen, as many of the British expeditions had done, this expedition relied heavily on whalers because they were up there all the time, which makes sense until you think about how you need to have a command structure Mm -hmm. for these expeditions to really work. You need to have like like, uh, people who actually respect your authority and will listen to you and don't have to worry about or have to worry about basically uh abandoning their posts and what that might do to them when they yeah. come back 
kind of thing. So kind of already we're starting off in a weird place, right? Mm-hmm. So there are several main players in the story other than Hall. There was the sailing master, Sidney Ozias Buddington, and an assistant navigator, George Emery Tyson. And they were both whaling captains with decades of experience. So now the Polaris essentially had three captains. Okay. Is this like a too many cooks in the kitchen situation? Uh-huh. Gotcha. Yeah. And then Tyson and Buddington had also quarreled with each other before during Hall's 1863 Franklin expedition um, and were known not to get along. So two of mm-hmm. them don't get along. And we have too many cooks in the kitchen. Ugh. So. Recipe for disaster. Literally. <laughs> so the remaining personnel composed of Americans, Germans, one Dane, and one Swede, who associated with the Germans, as well as native Canadian and Greenlandic Inuit guides. So. The non-native crew consisted of the first mate, Hubbard Chester, who was American, the second mate, William Morton, who was American, second engineer, Alvin Odell, American, the astronomer and chaplain, which is an interesting mix, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Richard Bryan, who's an American, the chief scientist slash surgeon, Emil Bessels, who was German, Chief Engineer Emil Schumann, who was German, and the meteorologist Frederick Meyer, who was born in Germany, but was an American national. Uh, The majority of the rest of the crew were able-bodied seamen and were pretty much all of German nationality. So basically a split American-German, more or less. Mm -hmm. Um, Beyond this group, Paul hired... The Canadian Inuit couple Ipervik and Tukulitu, who brought their infant daughter Puna with them. So Ipervik was uh, to serve as a guide and a hunter, and Tukulito was to be the seamstress and interpreter, although both could speak English fluently and Tukulito could hunt as well. Um mm-hmm. Hall also hired a Greenlandic Inuk hunter, known at the time as Hans Hendrik, but uh, now known by his Inuk name, Suresak, which is an unfortunate, if you're thinking about it as an American, it's just, yeah. I don't mean to like make fun of anybody's name, but when I was like looking up pronunciations, I was like, oh man, Suresak. That's well. like a... That's a name you get made fun of on the the blacktop. Yeah, yeah. Good thing he's Greenlandic and not American, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um. So Surisak would not agree to come unless he could bring his wife, Meku, and their three young children. So we've got four kids. Oh, my God. Four kids on this trip. One of them an infant. I'm interested to hear you pronounce these names. so hall acquiesced to all of these claims but honestly i would be less concerned about the inuit children than the full grown adult white men so (laughs) yeah 
yeah, I'd be more concerned about them than mm-hmm. human children. So, so Ipervik, Tukulitu, Suwersek, and Meku had all traveled as part of the European Arctic expeditions before. So they all had interacted with these kinds of people. Another major player was the chief scientist and surgeon, Emil Bessels. Bessels was just 24 years old when he set sail with Hall and the others. Uh, Despite his young age, he had already established a reputation for himself. At 18, he became the youngest doctor at the time to ever graduate from the Rupert uh, Carl University of Heidelberg. And he had already explored the Arctic during an 1869 expedition. He had also served as a military surgeon during the Franco-Prussian War. So he he had his resume all laid out for him. Nice. Already. And honestly, he's probably one of the most competent of the European uh, people. But at 18, he became the youngest doctor at mm-hmm. the time to ever graduate from the Rupert Carl University. From that university, yeah. From that university. That's crazy. Yeah. So 18. He's, he's youngest fucking- doctor. Fucking smart. Obviously, like, the requirements to become a doctor were not as um, intense as they are now, probably. Yeah. But it still required, like, schooling to get your doctorate, right? Oh, for sure. Go to university. So, yeah. I I feel like that would still, like, to this day, be considered the youngest doctor to to ever. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of a younger one than 18. Yeah. I mean, it's, nowadays it's... there's like, I don't know, four year olds graduating from college. <laughs> Have you seen those news stories? There was like a news story that came out the other day and it was like this like child graduated like or has this high IQ and is already like in courses in college or something. I don't know. It's stupid. And it's like, I I get it. I get why you would want to do that. But I don't know, like the whole like social disconnect would oh, I think be an right. issue. Yeah, for sure. A big issue. But you know, hey, I'm just average. So Yeah. I'm <laughs> below average. Fine. No, you're not, <laughs> no, you're not Haley. Okay. You have perfect eyebrows. What are you talking about? <laughs> those are about the most perfect thing on me, and those things are fake. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Okay, well, you'd still probably be more qualified yeah. to lead than half of the people on this trip. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to hear what goes down, honestly. Yeah. So we have Emil Bessels, who was just 24 when he set sail with Hall. Mm-hmm. And then he had already, at 18, become the youngest doctor at the time to graduate yeah. from the Rupert, Ruprecht, Rupert, Carl University of Heidelberg. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's he's impressive for sure, mm-hmm. and he's already explored the Arctic during an mm-hmm. 1869 expedition, mm-hmm. and has served as a military surgeon. Jeez, Louise, yeah, he's decorated, right? And he's a child. Is he the one that causes problems? <laughs> I everybody fucking causes problems. <laughs> Is he the first one to cause problems? Well, let's get into it. Okay, I could see so, this being an ego thing for him. <laughs> so this ill-fated mission already had issues before leaving the Brooklyn Navy Yard on June 29th, 1871. First, the cook, a seaman, a fireman, and an assistant engineer deserted. 
So they just didn't show up. Oh my God. Uh, and then uh, the steward turned out to be a drunk and was left in port. <laughs> yeah. So they had to fill all of those positions very, very quickly and take whoever they could get. So they're just like, all right, you, you're coming. Yeah. And it's like, we don't care what qualifications you have. Yeah. You're coming. You want to go to the Arctic sun? Can you cook some eggs? Great. You're the cook. All right, let's go. (laughs) Oh, yeah, this is going to be a nightmare. Uh, So by the time the ship reached St. John's, Canada, there was already dissension between the officers and the scientific staff, which was mostly split by nationality, as the officers were mostly American and the scientists were mostly German. So you were correct. Bessels, backed by Meyer, rejected Hall's command over the scientific staff as he had <laughs> no credentials or expertise in science. I knew it. Which I get. Like, this guy's like trying to micromanage like this incredibly smart guy. Yeah. And it's like that never him, goes well. <laughs> let him do his fucking thing. You have yeah. no dog in this fight, you know? Yeah. Like, so I get why that pissed him off for sure. Mm-hmm. So so this rejection and dissension spread to the crew, which again was mostly German. So the crew began to openly defy Hall's command, rendering him captain in name only. Mm. Uh, but remember, we have three captains. So. Yeah. <laughs> so he's Hall's literally just there at this point, and they haven't even gotten to the arctic yet oh wow (laughs) oh my god so and this is already starting (laughs) yeah so the assistant navigator tyson wrote expressions are freely made that hall shall not get any credit out of this expedition already some have made up their minds how far they will go and when they will get home again so they were already deciding like i'm only gonna go this far and then i'm done oh yeah real easy turn that boat around whenever you're ready Mm-hmm. okay right <laughs> so in disco bay greenland hall asks another captain captain davenport of the supply ship the uss congress to intervene on his behalf to the crew so he's basically going to this guy and like hey will you make them like listen to me <laughs> which is like sad but also like this this isn't gonna solve your leadership problems yeah like bringing some other guy to be like hey you need to listen to him yeah like that's not the sign of a good leader no so but i mean at the same time i really feel that because <laughs> that i i feel that that's yeah. really that's an issue that it is it's close to home the issue here is this guy really doesn't have the authority to be leading anybody, mm, but he's gotcha. in a leadership position. Uh, I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So, so he's bringing this other guy to try to get them to listen to him. And That's frustrating. Yeah. So Davenport threatened to arrest Meyer for his insubordination, but um, all of the German expedition members threatened to quit which forced Hall and Davenport to back down. So they couldn't do anything. Oh, my um, God. Yeah. The boilers had also been tampered with by one of the crew, 
and the blubber fired boilers had disappeared apparently thrown overboard so i don't know if they were trying to be like well we don't have these anymore so we can't go to the north pole but they threw them overboard so like they're like sabotaging on purpose yeah oh god i would hate everybody on this ship yeah (laughs) and you do i do feel bad for hall but i do think he was like given way too much responsibility and wasn't the guy he thought he was you know what i mean yeah so Hall also was a a micromanager. <laughs> yeah. I fucking also hate a micromanager. A, me too. Especially like I'm all for like working on teams and like, you mm-hmm. know, team support. And I get that there's like a trial and error period when like you're newly hired and they have to make sure that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. But like after a while, you need to start trusting people. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You just need to, if they have expertise in this, you got to let them, let yeah, them do their thing. Do yeah. Yeah. And, and so that was the other major issue is he was trying to micromanage everybody, but didn't fucking know anything about yeah anything other than Arctic survival. Didn't know anything about sailing. Didn't know anything about science. So it's like, stay in your lane, you know? God. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. So it's like he was almost there to be like, okay, he's going to lead the expedition once we get to the pack ice and we can't go any further in the ship. He should have like been like, that's what I'm going to yeah, take the lead. But that's neither here nor there because this, you know, is a a toilet bowl of of shit. This whole yeah. this whole thing. So despite all of this, the Polaris proceeded past the previous furthest north ship record. So the previous like latitude that the the last ship has gotten to, it's like the the I'm not making any sense. Previous so the, ship the previous furthest north latitude that any ship had ever gotten to, mm-hmm. they passed it. Okay. Polaris passed it. Does that make so sense? So they've yeah, they've already they've gotten farther along than the last ship. Exactly. They've gone farther north. Gotcha. So they're passing through the Smith Sound in the nearest strait. By September 2nd of 1871, Polaris had reached the furthest parallel north at the time, um 82 uh degrees 29 minutes north, the furthest north any ship had ever been. And tensions flared again between the three leading officers on what to do next. Hall and Tyson wanted to press further north to cut down the distance to the pole via dog sled, but Buddington did not want to further risk the ship in the ice, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, the Polaris sailed into Thank God Harbor. Which I love that name. Um, well... <gasps> Yes, I'll I'll tell you more about what I thought about that name when we you get to that part of the story. But yes, uh, I, I do love that name too. Yes, so they sailed into Thank God Harbor on September 10th and anchored for the winter off northern Greenland. Because typically, how these things go is like you get as far as you can, and then you got out over winter because everything gets too cold to like exist and be outside. Things like mm-hmm. that. Yes, so. But within a few weeks, Hall was making preparations for a sledging trip to beat Perry's furthest north record. 
Um, Hall wanted Tyson to go with him, but he did not want to leave Buddington alone on the ship as Buddington was becoming a Hall dissenter as well. Furthermore, there's a lot of evidence that Buddington was an alcoholic as he raided the ship's alcohol stores three times, uh, even taking alcohol kept by scientists for specimen preservation. Which, that's desperate, man. Yeah. That's like (laughs) pure fucking grain alcohol. Like, (laughs) Jesus Christ. Oh, God. Like, buddy, you need to go to an AA meeting, like, stat. Yeah, they didn't Um, have that back then. Nope. Nope, everybody was an alcoholic back then. But when you're, like, drinking the alcohol preservation, or the specimen preservation alcohol, that's how you know back in the day that you're an alcoholic. There's a problem here. (laughs) So Hall then left Tyson watching over the ship, um, and he took two sleds, the first mate, Hubbard, Chester, and native guides, uh, Ipervik and Suresek, leaving on October 10th. And I tried to do some research to figure out how far north they got. Mm-hmm. And obviously they didn't get to the North Pole because I feel like something would have been said about that. Right. But I have no idea how far uh, north they got because it's like superseded by the event that happens immediately after yeah so like none of like the sources i was looking at had any information about what happened on this little trip that they took like oh really trip like nothing nothing i wonder if they burned all the records (laughs) well well we'll see so (laughs) am i right again So they returned uh, from this little trip, though, on October 24th, merely two weeks after they had left. And it is, again, unknown to me if they were successful in anything they tried to do, because what happens next overshadows literally everything. So this is where the true crime comes in. Okay. So Hall, upon returning, suddenly fell ill after drinking coffee. Huh. With symptoms beginning with an upset stomach, then progressed to vomiting and delirium the following day. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. He was poisoned. Mm. By who? Mm. This is the murder mystery. Mm. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) It's all coming together. It's all coming together. (laughs) So he accused several of the crew, including Vessels and Buddington, of poisoning him. Uh, He refused medical treatment from Vessels and drank only liquids delivered directly from Tuculito, who he trusted as a friend. He seemed to improve for a few days and was able to go up on deck uh, Bessels, though, had convinced Brian, who was the chaplain, to convince Hall to let Bessels see him. So by oh. November 4th, Hall relented and Bessels began treating him. And Hall's uh, condition began to deteriorate again with the same symptoms. Oh, he's doing it. Mm-hmm. He's the murderer. Bessels diagnosed him with apoplexy, which I had to go look up because <laughs> we don't use that anymore. Mm-mm. 
So it's the rupture of an internal organ and accompanying systems. And in many cases, it's what today we would call a hemorrhagic stroke. Oh, okay. So that's the general, but I feel like it's just a general, like, oh, he was apoplectic, you know, or like yeah. he was, he had seizures. I don't know, like old timey, like bullshit. Yes. Medical jargon, you know what I mean? Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he diagnosed him with apoplexy before Hall finally died on November 8th, where he was taken ashore and given a formal burial. Oh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So they didn't want to keep him for a snack later. <laughs> no. <laughs> there's uh surprisingly for the shit show that this is, there's no cannibalism. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. That makes me feel a little bit better. But like other just just don't know how. I just don't know how it got this bad. Okay. Yeah. So that's not the worst well it's bad because they killed a guy possibly but like that's there's another crazy thing that happens okay yeah so following navy protocol command of the expedition was turned over to buddington but he didn't do much better than hall uh first of all coal was being burned at a very high rate quickly depleting their finite and very important resource i mean that's what's keeping them warm it melts drinking water, uh-huh. like powers the ship. Super important. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one problem. Uh, Buddington was often seen drunk again, continuing to pill for alcohol stores, and now no one can stop him. So, you know, oh. uh, because there was no real leadership, the shipboard routine and discipline was breaking down. Uh Tyson remarked, there is so little regularity observed. There is no slated time for putting out lights. The men are allowed to do as they please. And consequently, they often make nights hideous by their carousing, carousing, playing cards at all hours. Basically, everybody is turning into the worst roommate. Yes. Imagine. (laughs) Which I get. That fucking sucks. I had terrible roommates in college. Not all of them, obviously, but I had but a few. most of them. <laughs> I had a few that were. Oh my god! If I could have yeah. strangled them. Yeah, there was a. Did I ever tell you the stories of my roommates in college? Like not the soccer house that I lived in, but the one after that, where my bedroom was on the main floor. Like so, the window mm-hmm. faced the front porch, and then the door to my bedroom was into the living room mm-hmm. and my roommates and their friends would come back from the bar just drunk and loud and they would do this like it would be so funny they would literally yell over each other guys be quiet Haley's trying to sleep <laughs> and I'm like laying in bed like guy that's nice but I'm already up like <laughs> at least they were trying I they were trying this girl then- who she was i don't like to call women a bitch and i don't typically do but she was a bitch she was a straight up bitch yeah and her and her boyfriend would fight loud fight her room was right next to mine until early in the morning i'm talking like three to five a.m and it'd be like in the middle of the week and i'm like i have a lab yeah like i kind of get up (laughs) and it was like 
every fucking night. Oh god, that's and I'm just horrible. Like, like just break up already, Jesus. Seriously. Oh my god, I hated her so much. Anyway. Uh- <laughs> I loved my roommates that like I was just talking about. I thought they were great, but it, like that was when those were the that times when I was like, guys, this is pretty funny. Like you're just like yelling louder to get everybody to quiet down, trying to be <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's what I imagine it was like um, on the boat. Mm-hmm. So, oh, uh, here's another one. Buddington also decided it'd be fun to issue the ship's firearms to the crew for some reason. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if it was because, like, I mean, there's polar bears, but, like, if you're not going outside, you don't need a gun. You no, know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, that's funny. I don't understand the point of that, but okay. <laughs> that's, that's you know, the first, they're like, well, it's the right to bear arms, you know? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> back in Back in our country. <laughs> here we go yeah, they, there was never like a real reason provided as to like why he gave out all the firearms but he yeah did. Oh um my God. so in addition at the dismay of tyson and chester there was talk about the other officers contemplating a like faking a journey to the pole or at least a high latitude, because oh. the feasibility of attempting to get farther north the following summer was decreasing with every day as they were burning through their coal stores. Oh. So so they were all talking about, like, well, let's just get back and say we did it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Like, let's just fake it till we make it. Just like every other explorer that we've talked about i feel like had would have never even dreamed of yeah doing that. like they they literally like, died trying to accomplish their mission right and they like were all honorable and shit about it you know yeah. oh my god and they're sitting around like what if we pretend <laughs> what if we just say we did it who's gonna know no one's gonna know it's true <laughs> who's gonna know um so, so like, yeah, you have so, to make a pact right now. No one spills the, the beans. No one yeah. tells the truth. We're, we're all on the same page. Get your stories right. <laughs> exactly. So, but out of this, a legit plan for an expedition to the pole was dispatched on June 6th. Um, so Chester, who's the first mate, led the expedition in a whale boat, which was crushed in the pack ice within a few miles of the Polaris. So, he hiked back to the Polaris (laughs) to persuade Buddington to allow them to use the collapsible boat, which Buddington allowed. So, Chester and now Tyson in another whaleboat departed, setting out to travel north again. Meanwhile, and, and Buddington could have fucking told them this when they came back. So, meanwhile, the Polaris was looking for a route to open water because Buddington was not willing to spend another winter on the ice. So he decided that they weren't going to try to go to the North Pole. And he sent Ipervik after Tyson and Chester, forcing them to return to the ship. Basically, like, they're going to leave without you if yeah. you try to keep going. So they had to abandon their lifeboats and walk 32 kilometers back to the ship. So... Now, three of the ship's lifeboats were lost, 
And the fourth, a smaller boat, was crushed by ice after being carelessly left out overnight. So we're doing really fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um, they only had two whaleboats remaining at this point. God. So Tyson, Chester, and Bessels were all disappointed with the expedition, which is interesting because Bessels was a hall dissenter, but I think he did truly want to do the expedition, right? Yeah. Because he's a scientist. Mm -hmm. He's interested. So Tyson, Chester, and Bessels are all starting to get pissed at Buddington because Buddington's like that guy in the group project that fucking does nothing and tries to get out of doing all of the work oh yeah he's leading the project (laughs) yeah so (laughs) that's so so frustrating yeah so tyson wrote what opportunities have been lost and the expedition is to be carried back only to report a few geographical discoveries with patience we may have worked up beyond newman bay and there's no telling how much further Someone will someday reach the pole, and I envy not those who have prevented Polaris having that chance. So they're all pissed. Um, while the goal of the expedition was unceremonious, unceremoniously abandoned, their trouble was far from over. While traveling south in Smith Sound, the Polaris ran aground on a shallow iceberg. Oh my god. God could not be freed. (laughs) Oh my God. But stuck on this fucking iceberg. Uh, And there's a hole in the hull like Titanic. Uh, Oh my God. (laughs) On the night of October 15th, with water rushing in the damaged hole, the pumps could not keep up. So Buddington ordered cargo to be thrown onto the pack ice to buoy the ship. Right. Like, I see what he's getting at, but probably not the best idea. Right. Much of this cargo was ultimately lost. Yeah, that's why it's not the best idea. Yeah. Many of the crewmen were actually out on the surrounding ice overnight while the ship was worked on when the pack began breaking up. So, got a bunch of dudes, a bunch of supplies just out on some pack ice, right? Dudes being dudes. A group consisting of Tyson Meyer, who's the meteorologist, six of the seamen, the cook, the steward, and all of the Inuit found themselves stranded on an ice floe. A total of 19 people. Oh, no. Including the two Inuit women and their four young children. Oh, no. So they could see the Polaris about 10 miles away and attempted to attract the ship's attention with a large piece of black cloth, but the ship didn't come to them. So Mm. they just floated away. Oh my God. The Inuit soon built igloo shelters on the ice floe and Tyson counted their supplies, estimating that they had um, 1,900 pounds of food two of the whaleboats, and two kayaks. Meyer estimated that they were drifting towards the Greenland side of the strait and would be within rowing distance of the Disco Island settlement, but he was incorrect, and they were actually heading away from Greenland towards the Canadian side. Oh. They weren't in rowing distance of either. Hmm. So they couldn't really use the whaleboats. No, not at all. Uh, So, however, because of this... 
because they thought that they were going towards Greenland, the men rejected Tyson's plan for conserving food and broke up one of the whale boats for firewards. So now we have one boat. Oh my goodness. Uh-huh. But that probably was okay because they couldn't even have used it anyway. Yeah. So I guess use it how you can. I don't know. Well, they're not rationing though either. So oh, well, that's terrible. Yeah. Poor so choice. in November of 1972, the men went on an eating binge and consumed a large quantity of stores, leaving their supplies depleted. We need to do better. Like, come on. (laughs) They were only able to survive due to the two Inuit hunters who were able to kill seals and on several occasions. So if not for Ipervik, Tukulito, Surasak, and Meku, everybody would have died of starvation. Pretty much. Yeah. So if it weren't for the Inuits. Yep. Yep. People would have died. Everybody would have been fucked. Oh, my God. They drifted over 1800 miles for the next six months oh my god Uh uh-huh and were rescued by the whaler tigress off the coast of newfoundland on april 30th 1873 they had survived 190 days drifting on the ice sheet in your writing you say november of 1972 you meant 1872 I right. did mean 18. I I hope I don't know. I don't remember if you said 1872 or not. <laughs> it's 18. You're right. <laughs> well, now I'm just picturing them all in like big bell like they went back in time. <laughs> yeah, they're like, man, being stuck on this ice flow fucking blows, man. Wish no, it's all good. Weed. I just wanted to make sure. I, I saw that and I was like, oh, did she say 1872? I don't know. I might have said 1972. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah. Well, oh, well. It's fine. It's definitely 18. No one's time traveling. But no. they did tra- travel very, very far. So it was like, yeah, six months later that they were, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Half a year out there. God, I would go insane. Because, like, you don't know if you're ever going to be rescued. No. And, like... If it weren't for the Inuit, like, they'd have been eating each other. They'd have been eating each other. Yeah, for sure they would have been eating each other. So, obviously, they get back to the States, and everyone's like, what the fuck happened? (laughs) (laughs) Why are you the way that you are? So, an inquiry into the events of the Polaris expedition began on June 5th, after the flow group was rescued. But the fate of Buddington vessels and the rest of the crew was still unknown. Uh, So, Tyson was questioned about the potential poisoning of Hall, but unfortunately, most of the records had disappeared or had been burned, apparently at Hall's request. Oh, Um, I was right. Yeah, but Hall requested them to be burned. Oh. Why would he request them to be burned? Yeah, because maybe he's in on it. I don't know. But he's dead. Oh, he is the dead one. Yeah. Ah, they lied. (laughs) Someone's (laughs) lying. (laughs) So the steward, John Heron, testified that he had not made the coffee that was suspected of being poisoned. The cook had, and he didn't know how many people had touched it before it reached Hall. 
So Ooh. nobody had eyes on that coffee. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Tyson, Meyer, and Ipravic all also testified to Buddington's excessive drinking. They were like, yeah, that guy was wasted all the time. That guy is fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Just hammered 24-7. 24-7. So, meanwhile, on Polaris, the coal stores were running low, so Buddington thought their best bet was to run aground near Etah, which is an Inuit settlement on the northern Greenland coast. So they had lost much of their bedding, clothing, and food on October 15th when they had thrown it all overboard. Uh, And the remaining 14 men were not in a good state to survive another winter. The bilge pumps on the ship stopped for good and the ship heeled over out onto her side. So they built a hut with wood salvaged from the Polaris on October 24th and extinguish the ship's boilers to conserve coal. Um, The Etah Inuit did help the men survive the winter, and after wintering on shore, the men built two boats from salvaged wood from the ship and hut, and on June 3rd, 1873, they they sailed south and were spotted and rescued by the whaler Ravenscraig in July. So they also were out there sailing around for a month. In a oh wow! Hastily constructed boat. Wow. Yep. So everybody survived except for Hall. Yeah, that and because he was murdered. Right. So wild. But uh, shit show. Fucking shit. Yeah, show. that is a big shit show. I am now curious about the Hall murder. Mm-hmm. And how they're like, oh, I made the coffee, but I don't know how many hands it went through that morning. Mm-hmm. That's like, I feel like that's trying to like pass the blame off. I feel like it was the cook. Or it's like, oh, I'm going to admit to it, but I'm also going to throw this line in there that kind of makes you think that I didn't do it. Well, but there, everybody hated him. It could have been anybody. It could have been anybody. I know. Man. <laughs> you know, that... that <laughs> It's these like old timey murder mysteries that really get you because uh-huh. you got you got no documentation. There's like no no interview. They're like out in the middle of the ocean. Mm-hmm. What if this whole expedition was set up as a ploy to kill him in the first place? I feel like like there's a lot easier ways to kill people. Oh, for sure. No, a hundred percent. Yes. So I, I'm just I saying know. that that I love a good conspiracy theory, and so that's where my brain starts to go. Yes. Like, that's well, a lot of effort. <laughs> I think being in the Arctic, though, made the cover-up of the murder much easier. Mm-hmm. Because, like, they were literally going where nobody had gone before. Yes. Right? So, like, how are they going to go check? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. They can't like, do an autopsy, right? Yeah. So... Once Buddington and the others had been rescued, they were brought into the inquiry as well. Uh, Buddington attacked Tyson's credibility, saying that he had tried to prevent Hall from sailing farther north, which was not true, and disputed his reports of drinking, saying that he made it a practice to drink, but very little. Hmm. That's everybody's own own... (laughs) own scale yep. there mm-hmm. 
Bustles was also questioned about Hall's death. He stated, my idea of the cause of the first attack is that he had been exposed to very low temperature during the time that he was on the sledge journey. He came back and entered a warm cabin without taking off his heavy fur clothing and then took a warm cup of coffee. Anyone knows what the consequences might be, which you Wait, can put your what? body into shock coming like from an extreme cold into an extreme warm ev- environment or vice versa. Oh, okay. But but to have like internal bleeding from it, like no. Well, and it's so prolonged, you know. Yeah. Should have been like a one and done kind of thing. So he further stated that Hall was taken by he- hemiplegia and his left side was paralyzed and that he injected Hall with quinine to correct his elevated temperature. Due to the conflicting testimony, no body, and the lack of official records or journals, no charges were laid with Hall's death. Hmm. Surgeons General and the U.S. Army and Navy wrote, from the circumstances and symptoms detailed by him and comparing them to the medical testimony of all the witnesses, were conclusively of the opinion that Captain Hall died from natural causes, apoplexy, and the treatment of the case by Dr. Bessels was the best best practicable under the circumstances. So, that's how they left it. Um, I'm curious as to, one, what, like, the poison substance was, and then Mm -hmm. two... Who had it on them? Like, mm-hmm. how did that get there? Mm-hmm. You know, like, did they use, like, some tea leaves that were, like, poisonous in large amounts? Mm-hmm. And, like, or did they use, like, some of the science stuff to, like, mm-hmm. just, like, oops. Like, yeah. Let's slip yeah. it in your coffee. Little, yeah. little accident. A little cyanide. Well, we'll get to that. Oh, it, will we? Okay. It's not been put to bed, right? Okay, 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 okay. So, while Bessels was absolved of responsibility, there were rumors circulating in the press, because of course there were, because this must have been mm, juicy. Mm It'd be like a bunch of astronauts coming back and like one of them being dead and one of the astronauts being like, oh, it was him. He did it. Like, Mm -hmm. juicy. What about juicy? So, an article from the New York Herald indicated that the Royal Inspector of North Greenland, H. Carrop Smith, suspected foul play, saying, I think the body of Captain Hall, which I have no doubt is still in a state of preservation, should be sought after and exhumed. And Bessels responded, saying, it was only through the delirium of illness that he manifested great fears of being shot or poisoned. Hmm. So... Following the expedition, Bessels worked for the Smithsonian offices um, to work on publications from the expedition, and you can find a lot of their specimens in the Smithsonian, um, like, archives or collections. So, Okay. Following the rescue of the crew, the Navy worked to rewrite the history of how those on the ice floe survived. Um, upon rescue, the ice flow crew were detained in the Navy Yard before the um, inquiry in Washington, yeah. D.C., and forbidden to speak to journalists in efforts to rewrite and control the account of what had happened on the Polaris expedition. 
because okay. the whole thing would have been real fucking embarrassing to the navy because it was an sh- absolute shit show yeah <laughs> which that's... i'm like none of your guys were really directly involved so yeah i, I don't know what you know but it was a lot of money given to them to do yes. this so yeah uh so one of the most unfortunate uh parts of this was the way the media portrayed the inuit um hunters specifically um ipervik who was later interviewed by journalists um and he was portrayed as being unable to understand basic questions of english although he had lived in the u.s for years and spoke english fluently Hmm. um ipervik's interviews two newspapers reported a complete collapse of the Polaris um, and that Buddington had been drunk and threatened the crew in various ways. The Navy portrayed the Inuit testimony as requiring translation by Europeans in order to be scientific or reliable, basically rendering Ipervik's interviews as unreliable. And this took away a lot of the narrative from these four individuals about what happened even though they were witnessing it all themselves Mm -hmm. too and were probably the sole reason why a lot of those people survived yes um but once again uh racism likes to take away that kind of stuff and push you know people like that into the shadows so unfortunately unfortunately yeah um the other thing they did, though, was for Tyson, uh, basically, they indicated that Tyson's early testimonies were the confused ramblings of someone who was unwell from having spent so long drifting on a sheet of ice. Oh, so they just, like, completely discounted him. Yeah. Ugh. And so it's almost like they were citing on the side of, like, the murderers and Buddington, who was a fucking alcoholic. Because they didn't want people to find out how much of a shit show it was. Yeah. Which is not cool. No, that's like very much like, but it's like these days when they're like, oh, media is controlling the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to happen in like, what, yeah. what year is this? 1873? Yeah. Yeah. They've always been doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like it's a new thing. <laughs> no. So, so that's. So a lot of it kind of got swept under the rug and it's unfortunate because the people who were probably one of the, you know, more honest folks in that group were the ones that suffered for it. Mm -hmm. So, so here's where we get into the real deal though. Mm. All right. Because Mm -hmm. in 1968 and like a hundred years later, 68, (laughs) A historian, Chaucie C. Loomis, working on Hall's biography titled Weird and Tragic Shores, found evidence that Hall was indeed murdered. Oh. Uh-huh. How did they find that out? So, he applied for a permit to visit Thank God Harbor to exhume Hall's body for a proper autopsy. Hmm. Um, Due to the permafrost, his body was well-preserved, and they were able to test the tissue and bone samples from his body. Oh. hundred years later, because he was buried in the Arctic. Yeah, I bet they didn't think about that one, Mm -hmm. dummies. 
They were like, no one's ever going to get to the North Pole. No. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're like in 1968, like we we could just go check that out, you know? Yeah. Like, let's just go take a look at this real quick. Yeah. So do. So they, they basically test the tissue and bone samples and it showed that he had received large doses of arsenic. Oh, my God. Of his life. So it was a gradual thing. Yes. A little bit at a time. Or it's hard to tell. Maybe. Or it was like a heavy dose and it looked like it could accumu- yeah. accumulate over two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So his symptoms that he had at the time align with symptoms of acute arsenic poisoning. Perfectly. Stomach mm-hmm. pains, vomiting, dehydration, stupor, mania. All arsenic poisoning. Oh, wow. So also arsenic can have a sweet taste and Hall had complained that the coffee had tasted too sweet and had burned his stomach. Wow. That's wild. So, but who killed him, right? So Buddington, Meyer, and Bessels all had motive as all three had expressed relief with his death. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bessels had further motive as both men had been trying to get with the American sculptor Lavinia Vinnie Ellen Ream. Oh, so they a were crime of passion. Vying <laughs> after her affections, but she preferred Hall. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. So, Bessels had reported envy toward Hall over Vinny's affections and so before they them. had even left. Uh, it is possible that Hall may have accidentally dosed himself as arsenic oh, was a common uh, medicine or tool in medical kits at the time. <laughs> Imagine accidentally killing yourself. Which, like with like, arsenic. Like how also- do you accidentally... How do you accidentally put that in your coffee? Well, that's what everyone's saying. Like, well, due to the circumstances, it's highly unlikely. But yeah, it was mentioned like, well, he might have been that dumb. We don't know. Instead of sweet and low, it's like sweet and death. I don't know. (laughs) Which I I think it's funny that they even had arsenic in their medical kit. That's what I'm saying. Like, what the hell was going on back then? And the Victorians like, had, had like they they put fucking arsenic and lead and all that in everything. They were yeah. just like they used to put arsenic in wallpaper to turn it green, and it was like really I, popular. You know what I've been seeing on TikTok recently is like mm. those people who like shine the UV light on the glasses to see if they're yeah. um, like the uranium gra- glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people are like, um. I don't want radiation in my house. Thank you very much. Well, supposedly they've got like low levels of radiation. I need to check my because I might have some. Yeah. Uh, it looks like glass. carnival glass. Yeah. And so then they like shine on it and it's like glows in the dark. And I'm like, oh my God. Well, I don't even you- care if it's low levels of radiation. I just don't want that shit in my house. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's also a conspiracy theory? Not conspiracy theory. I don't know if that's the right word for this or not, but a theory, I guess. I saw on the internet was like how if you put your plants by your modem 
or like your router, like mm-hmm. any sort of like internet thing, like your plants like won't grow. Hmm. And I'm like, and we have, we have a plant by our modem that is not doing well, but we don't know where else to put it. Cause that's like the only place in the house where yeah. it can go. And I'm like, oh my God, like we, like, is this something that like we have in our house that is like damaging us? Like what? And like microwaves and stuff. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I think everything is going to kill us. I mean, they say they switch back and forth on whether eggs are going to kill us like every 10 years. So who fucking knows? And but like arsenic for sure. Will kill you. <laughs> kill yes. You. <laughs> yes. Arsenic and they sure used to put that shit in everything back then. Remember so when that they used to kinda... put like cocaine, like literal yeah. cocaine in Coca-Cola? Yeah. The fuck? And like there was this Netflix series I watched. I think it was called Take Your Pills. And it's like all about like the ADH medicine and stuff and how back in the day, like housewives would literally do speed. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I feel so great. I, mm-hmm. I can do all this work now. Mm-hmm. Like, dude. Yeah. yeah. And stay thin, you know, casually doing drugs to go about your day. Yep. Like, I mean, we all do, but it's like, what level of drugs do you want to do to yes. get through your day? That's like oh. socially acceptable. Oh my God. So, so crazy. It's, it is crazy. And it, yeah, we could talk about, because I could talk about the radium girls, how they used to like paint watch styles in the 19, uh, oh, early 1900s I've during World War One, um, to basically let them be able to like see and read their watch style without alerting the enemy because it oh. would glow, but oh. it wouldn't shine like a, like a flashlight. Yeah. And um, so they'd have these girls in the 20s painting watch styles licking the um the paint brush no, to put the they're numbers dead. on yeah the watch and life they, expectancy has dropped severely well <laughs> they they became like their jaws started falling off and they became deformed I and it was like a bet. huge lawsuit i'm gonna google that nuts what was, what's that called the, the radium the, girls there's a book about girls? it you should google it there's i think a documentary about it it's fucking fascinating but it's like this kind of stuff has been happening for a long time. Oh yeah. And so so anyway, back to our murder victim here. Um so they don't they know that he was murdered, but they still don't know who murdered him for sure. But I think the the leading theory is that it was Vessels cuz he had the most motive and the most ac- access to him. Honestly, it sounds about right. Yeah. You know, I would agree with that. And at this point, he's not here to argue against it. So, yeah, you know, he got away with it, essentially. Well, yeah. So. So while the Polaris expedition was generally considered a disaster. (laughs) Yeah, there are a few accomplishments from the trip um, that I'd like to end on just as a little, excuse me, as a little positive note. The Polaris reached 82 degrees 16 minutes north, the highest latitude that had been obtained by any other ship at the time. They determined that the Kennedy Channel, which is a narrow passage of water between Ellesmere Island and Greenland, which leads into the Arctic Ocean, was navigable. So you could go up to the North Pole through there. They discovered and surveyed over 700 miles of coastline, confirmed that Greenland was indeed an island. It didn't extend further north um, and made observations related to astronomy, ocean physics, meteorology, biology, 
and geology. And that is the story of the Polaris expedition. Nice. That that's a good one. That's interesting. I like the little murder mystery in the right there. murder mystery. People were stuck on an ice floe for six months. Like they all survived, other than the guy that got murdered. Amazingly, yeah, they all survived. Think to the Inuit mostly. Yeah, honestly, neither group would have survived if it wasn't for the Inuit because the other group got taken in over the winter, basically. So, yeah. again. Going where white people probably should never go (laughs) without respecting local customs and traditions. When will we ever learn? And experiences. (laughs) So, yeah, I just thought that would be a fun one uh, for the season. Um, But unfortunately, they never got to go see Santa. So, Oh, bummer. Well, um, we can... uh hopefully know that they saw some reindeers oh is that your conservation conservation corner reindeers because it's almost christmas yay (laughs) (laughs) all right Um, yeah so reindeer are um the same species as caribou i guess i learned that just by reading that Mm -hmm. um in North America, they are called caribou if they are wild and reindeer if they are domesticated. So mm-hmm. that's the the haps there. In Europe, they're just called reindeer. Yes, yes. Reindeer are 28 to 53 inches tall at shoulder height. Females weigh 121 to 308 pounds and males weigh 140 to 550 pounds, depending on the time of year. Their, antl- their antlers are arguably the reindeer's most defining characteristic. Compared to their body size, reindeer have the largest and heaviest antlers of all living deer species. Oh. A male's antlers can measure up to 51 inches long, and a female's antlers can reach up to 20 inches. Reindeers use their antlers as weapons against predators. Males use their antlers to woo the females, and females use theirs to clear the way uh, for snow and to find food. Each year, their antlers fall off and grow back larger the following year. Males begin to grow antlers in February and females in May. While both males and females finish growing their antlers at the same time, they shed their antlers at different times of years or uh, time of the year. <clears throat> a male drops his in November, while a female reindeer keeps their antlers through the winter until their calves are born in May. Reindeer are well adapted to freezing habitats. Their coat comes in a variety of colors, ranging from dark brown and woodland subspecies to nearly white in Greenland. Their coat is usually a bit darker in summer and lighter in winter. Reindeer have two coat layers, consisting of an undercoat of fine, soft wool that stays right next to their skin and a top layer of long, hollow guard hairs. The air trapped inside the guard hairs holds in body heat to keep a reindeer warm against the wind and cold. They are considered to be ruminants, which are hoofed herbivores, grazing, or browsing mammals. They eat mooses, herbs, ferns, and grasses when available. <laughs> did you just say they eat mooses? Mooses, I did. It's mosses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm tired. They eat mosses, herbs. I said that so confidently, too. They eat you mosses, did. herbs, ferns, and grasses when available. Thanks for catching that. They also eat the shoots and leaves of shrubs and trees. In winter, they mainly consume lichen and fungi, scraping the snow away with their hooves to get it. An average adult reindeer eats 9 to 18 pounds of vegetation a day. 
Their habitat includes the tundra and boreal forests, and reindeer can be found in Scandinavia, Russia, Iceland, Greenland, Alaska, and Canada. In terms of breeding, a male's body changes in preparation for the rut or the quote-unquote mating season, which typically occurs in the fall. They rub the velvet off of their antlers, their neck swells, and their stomach draws in, and they grow a mane of hair under their neck. The males battle each other with battles even resulting in death. The winner chooses 5 to 15 females to be in his harem. Females that become pregnant leave the herd in the spring and travel to a traditional calving ground. After a gestation period of seven and a half months, they give birth to typically one calf, usually in May and June. At birth, the newborn weighs 5 to 20 pounds and is able to stand within just one hour after birth. It is not spotted like the other, like in the other deer species. A reindeer calf drinks its mother's rich milk and begins adding solid food to its diet just at one week old. By two yeah. weeks, it has doubled its birth weight. It is weaned about six months later. Females reach sexual maturity at four years old, and males reach sexual maturity at six years old. They have a social structure because they are social animals, that so they live in herds of 10 to a few hundred. They may form super herds of 50,000 to 500,000 yes. in the spring. That is insane. They migrate south to follow food sources, traveling up to 1,000 miles. They communicate with each other through snorts, grunts, and horse calls, especially during the breeding season or rut. Um, the average lifespan of a reindeer is 15 to 18 years old. Oh, okay. They have, they have a few threats. Uh, typically, population density, predation, and disease seem to dis- determine reindeer herd sizes. While anti-poaching laws exist to protect reindeer, historically, overhunting has caused some reindeer populations to decline. Climate change is also impacting reindeer habitat as temperatures rise. White-tailed deer move in uh, into areas occupied by reindeer. Mm-hmm. Uh, these deers often possess a warm parasite that is fatal to the moose. Uh, that's the ringworm, I believe. And um, the reindeer populations is fatal to the moose and reindeer populations. Um, human active, or no, not the ringworm, screwworm. Screw, it was screwworm, I think, is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, some kind of parasite <laughs> yeah well i know da- down here there is a screwworm issue with the deer mm, population and the here. like key deer mm-hmm, yeah bad um human activities such as oil exploration and industrial industrial development has increased and spread into their habitat while reindeer have been able to adapt to the presence of people and machines these increasing human activities may pose a threat to the reindeer populations as of 2015, the IUCN has classified the reindeer as vulnerable on its red list of threatened species, which is um, not a bad listed status, I mm-hmm. believe. It's like, yeah, they're vulnerable. Yeah. I feel, like, I feel like most species are listed as vulnerable, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Unless they're like super invasive and doing like super duper well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like with care, like with caribou or really any deer, like disease is going to be a big issue um, if it gets mm-hmm. out of control. And then specifically for like Arctic animals, climate change is going to be the biggest issue because they rely on those tundra spaces. And if they're collapsing, the ecosystems are collapsing due to like losing permafrost and stuff like that, mm-hmm. then they may not be able to to use it any longer and that's certainly an issue with like polar bears and seals but the thing about caribou and reindeer 
is they're definitely more habitat generalists because mm-hmm. not only can they live on the tundra, but they can also live in like the boreal forest. So they have more like Diversity. land habitat that they're able to cover. I pulled yeah. up because I remember talking about this in Finland because they have reindeer there um, mm-hmm. about there's a bunch of different subspecies of reindeer. Oh, okay. Which is why they often look very, very different. Like if you're looking at an Alaskan caribou versus like a Norwegian one. Mm -hmm. So there's like seven main subspecies that are kind of divided by region. There's the Eurasian forest reindeer, which is the smallest of the subspecies. And it lives in certain pockets of forest in Finland and Russia, which is one of their uh, subspecies that they were talking about. And it's smaller because it allows it to move, you know, in between the trees, which is kind of cool. Um, I got that from... Wow, it's crazy. I didn't know there was that many subspecies. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, I got it from a research gate, research gate publication. <laughs> nice. Oh, I CWD got, uh... in Norway... Uh, chronic wasting disease in Norway apparently chronic, chronic wasting waste... disease yes that's a problem yeah it can affect them too so yes which we yeah, talked they... about that on our Appalachian episode yeah mm-hmm. I mean and there's I I was watching god what was it was it Louisiana law it was there it was one of those like law enforcement shows like the game warden shows on Hulu mm-hmm. and um it was so sad it was like, you know, this little kid and his dad go out on this hunting trip and this little kid shoots his first deer and like they're bringing it home. But like they crossed, I guess, like county lines or whatever. And like the warden was like, chronic wasting disease is an issue here. Like you can't like bring deer across county lines. It has yeah. to be checked first, like blah, 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 like all that stuff. And that's essentially the same thing that happens like down here too. Like you, you mm-hmm. can't like the chronic wasting disease is an issue like you have to get all your stuff checked if you're crossing i guess and i mean it turns them into zombies it's crazy gross which is why they think it's the not deer yes so if you want to hear more about the cryptid the not deer and chronic wasting disease uh go listen to episode 69 which is entitled crystal girlies (laughs) crystal girlies yes (laughs) Um, we are crystal girlies. where we talk about that as well as the um, Appalachian Trail. So yeah, nice uh, to know or not nice to know. I guess that uh, chronic chronic wasting disease is a problem everywhere. I guess it really is. Honestly, yeah. it's horrible. Yeah. Um, but I got my little tidbit from PBS. Oh yeah, um, I guess I guess I should yeah. cite my sources, huh? Yeah, you should. PBS.org is what I got mine from. Uh, so I, I got my main timeline from Wikipedia uh, from the Polaris Expedition entry because it's hard to sometimes piece these timelines together from yeah. like articles. So that uh, and then what happened to the Polaris Expedition and did it lead to murder from Discovery.com? Wait, did that really happen? Potential poison on the Polaris from Emily Nikratz um, from the Smithsonian Institution Archives. Um, I also got information from a class. Uh, I don't know if it was just information they posted for the class about the Polaris expedition oh. um, from Dartmouth College. <laughs> nice. So, uh, and then the Polaris expedition and the problem of bias 
in Arctic exploration history from Nana Katrine Luders Carland uh, from Arctic Relations, which is a website talking about, you know, the Inuit history um, that's been erased in Arctic exploration. So that's my sources. Nice. Good deal. So a man was murdered, so we should maybe talk about happy things. Yeah, I was gonna say, do we do happy things? I feel like uh, I feel like the reindeer were my happy things. So I'm that's like good. mentally, I think I'm I'm back to normal again. Yeah. Um my happy thing is that I never have to do this freaking festival ever again for work. Yay. That's, a, that's a very good happy thing. Um other happy thing is my parents are coming in. 10 days they arrive in 10 days and then they're gonna be here for Christmas um and Christmas is soon it's super hard it's probably the same thing down there in Texas but like it's so hard to get into the holiday spirit down here because it's just hot all the time it doesn't even feel like Christmas like it was like 87 degrees December 3rd okay that's a lot it was hot (laughs) and the day before it was like a 70 68 degree morning and I yeah. was like, oh, it's nice. We're getting a cold front. This is awesome. And then the next day, it's like, bam, summertime. And I'm like, oh, my God, it is December. Like, mm-hmm. get out of here. Mm-hmm. So it's annoying. Well, I guess uh, speaking of Christmas weather, my happy thing was that um, Corey and I took a little Christmas trip. It was like a gift to ourselves, basically, for Christmas. Yeah. Like, that's... We're like we don't need things and stuff. We still bought things and stuff, but we were like, let's go do this. Um, yeah. That's so, yeah. So we went to Fredericksburg, which is for those of you who don't know, it's like um, wine country for mm-hmm. Texas. Uh, it's in the middle of hill country, which is probably one of the more beautiful parts of Texas. Um, in my opinion, anyway, a lot of our really cool state parks are there. So we mm-hmm. went to a couple with Marzi and the weather was in the 70s and like perfect. And then we got a cold front so that it felt chilly and like Christmas and the whole town is decorated like Hallmark style. And mm-hmm. it was just really nice to get to go do that um, before all of the craziness starts for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, that is nice. So. We'll be here for the rest of the holidays, and who knows if I will have fish to take care of on Christmas or not. We will see. Hopefully, I guess hopefully you do. Like, that's part of the project, but, like, also hopefully not, so, like, you can have time to yourself, but. Yeah, like, if I have fish, (laughs) if I have fish, hopefully I'm not running a trial while Christmas is happening. Hopefully I'm just going in and feeding them kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I'm hoping. So. All right. Well, uh, let's wrap let's this up. Wrap it where, up. Yeah. <laughs> where where can our listeners find us? Uh, you guys can find us on social media on Instagram at Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast, on Facebook at Mother Nature Will Kill You, on TikTok at MNWKY Podcast. We have a website, Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast.com. Um, and you can find us on any streaming platform like Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. Yeah. Um, and if you went on a doomed polar exploration and murdered a man, we want to hear about it. Um. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Well, at the very least, so we could turn you in. Um. Yeah. 
But uh, if not, if you just had an uncomfy experience in nature where maybe you started experiencing like hypothermia or something like that, or if you got snowed in in your tent, that's scary. Uh, We want to hear about that too. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can submit those stories to um, our webpage. We have a page for story submission or our email. And if you want to support the podcast, but you don't have any money because we live in a post-capitalist hellscape and it's Christmas, you can (laughs) give us a five-star review on any of our listening platforms. Um, Feeling the Christmas thing kind of hard right now. (laughs) Yeah. Christmas always takes a chunk out of my budget. Hell yeah. Um, All right. Well, uh, we'll return with another uh, Christmassy story. Well, not Christmassy, but like cold weather story next week. Um, All righty. All right. So until next time, stay stay curious, explorers. Oh, oh, wait. No. (laughs) Until next time, stay safe. But most of all, Stay curious, explorers. (laughs) I messed that one up this time. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. I do it all the time. Bye. Bye.